The Yesterday and Today podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun compilation of chronological source materials as they pertain to the Beatles. The show is in no way affiliated with Apple Corps, nor any organization connected to John, Paul, George, or Ringo in any way, though we do consider ourselves premier members of the Bungalow Bill fan club. So kick back, turn off your mind, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Yesterday and today. 1965, Part 2, March 22nd through July 4th. On Tuesday, March 30th, after a full day of filming, the Beatles returned to EMI Studios to re record the song That Means a Lot. That Means a Lot, remake. Take 20 recording it. Not being able to get the song and its tempo the way Paul McCartney envisioned it, the song That Means a Lot was shelved. On Wednesday, March 31st, the Beatles resumed filming for the movie Eight Arms to Hold You. A week later, on April 7th, 
The four Beatles were filmed for the pub cellar sequence in which Ringo, having fallen through a trap door, is confronted by Raja, the famous Bengal man-eater. Good Lord, so it's famous is. I don't worry, it's absolutely harmless. All you have to do is to sing Beethoven's Ode to Joy from the famous Ninth Symphony in D minor. By April, the first helping of music from the new movie is released. On April 9th, Parlophone releases the ninth Beatles single, A Ticket to Ride. In North America, the single was released by Capitol, saying on the label that Ticket to Ride was from the film Eight Arms to Hold You. If anyone had any reservations about the strength and vitality of the Beatles as songwriters or musicians, they were quickly reassured with the release of this one. John wrote most of it and sings lead vocal. Yeah, I liked it because it was slightly a new sound at the time. I used to like guitars, you know. I don't want anything else on the album with guitars and jangling piano or whatever. And it's all happening. That's a, it's a heavy record, you know. Paul plays bass and lead guitar. I think it was largely John's, the actual ticket to ride bit. We wrote it together. Uh, you see, with John and I, certain songs would nearly always be the idea of one of us. One of us had actually said, Ticket to Ride would be good. The other one would say, OK, that's what we'll write today. Ringo surprised some people with his excellent drumming on the track. She's got 
number one after one week, and the Beatles continue with amazing their film. The B-side, Yes It Is, is sung by John and Paul and features George playing with a new toy, the volume tone pedal, and the Beatles give us another example of their great vocal harmony. If you were red tonight Remember what I said tonight baby wore and what's more is true yes it is scarlet were the clothes she wore everybody knows I'm sure I would remember all the things we planned understand Yes, it is. I could be happy with you by my side if I could forget her. But it's my bride. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. Yeah. Please don't worry tonight. This is what I said. Yes, it is. A song originally intended for the Help soundtrack, but it ended up on the B-side of Ticket to Ride. On Sunday, April the 11th, the Beatles appear on the New Musical Express annual poll winner's all-star concert in front of a crowd of 10,000. Thank you. Good afternoon. Hello there. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to the annual New Musical Express Poll Winners Concert here at the Empire Pool Wembley. There are many, many million words in the English language. Many of these words are adjectives, but I'm not going to use any of them. They've been done to death by critics and compares alike, and there aren't any left for these artists. 
let me just say that here are the world's greatest and let's let's just have it completely silent for one second while I say the Beatles Next song we'd like to sing is our latest record. Many of you have <laughs> of you have heard it. And it's called Ticket to Ride. I think I'm gonna be sad. Said that living with me was bringing her down, yeah. She would never be free when I was around. She's got a ticket to ride. She's got a ticket to ride. She's got a ticket to ride, but she don't care. Don't know why she's riding so high Sure think twice, sure do ride by me Before she gets the same goodbye Sure think twice, sure do ride by me
Thank you. We'd like to do a song now. All right there. How are you? Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Thank you. We'd like to do a song now, which we've been doing for quite a few years. Quite a few years. This one was on one of our EPs. We hope you like it and join in. Have a good time. Stamping and all that and shouting. Anything you like, you know. Just have a good laugh. The song's called Long Tall Sally. I'm gonna tell it, Mary, but Uncle John, he said he got the messy, but he got a lot of fun, oh, baby. Yeah, now, baby, Ooh, baby, I sung for the night, yeah. I saw Uncle John with Bo did it, Sally. He saw Mary coming and he coming in the avenue, baby. Yeah, now, baby. Once again, of course, ladies and gentlemen, this year, the top British vocal group, indeed the top vocal group in the world, the Beatles. And that, in fact, does bring us to the end of our concert for this afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being with us. Hope you've enjoyed it. You've been a wonderful audience. We'll be here, of course, again at this round about this same time next year. And if you can get tickets, well, we hope to see all your smiling faces again then. So, goodbye for now, everybody. Thanks for coming, and see you next year. On April 13th, in Studio 2 at EMI in London, the group worked on a new composition by John Lennon and Paul McCartney.
The song was titled Help. Director Richard Lester had wanted the Beatles' second feature film to be called Beatles 2, or Beatles Production 2. Then Ringo had suggested Eight Arms to Hold You, but no one really cared for that title either. I, I don't think anybody will want to hear a song called uh, Eight Arms to Hold You. It's a crummy title, I think. You know, it was okay, we just we were getting a bit desperate for titles, and then somebody said Eight Arms to Hold You, and Ringo said it, and we all said, yeah, great, you know. But then we suddenly realised a couple of days after that we were all sick of it, and we didn't like it, and we thought it was a bit, a bit daft, you know, the idea. The title help was conceived by Richard Lester. Well, Dick sort of slowly went up to us one at a time, punching us, saying it's going to be called Help. And we said, yeah, that's a great idea, Dick, so we'll call it that. And that's how it all came about. Yeah, it's called Help, you know. Out of Dick Lester's mouth came our director friend. Uh, I think it was Dick, he just said, let's have a very simple title, which nobody can say is either bad or good, really. You know, it's not a fantastic title, but it's but I think it will work when we... When you sort of actually, the film comes out and things, because it fits very well with the film, the title, and the song. Once again, John and Paul had to go away and compose this title song. John got the idea, I think, for the title help. And I think from things he said later, I think it was a bit his state of mind. You know, he was feeling a bit constricted by the whole Beatle thing. He never said that when he wrote it. He said it retrospectively. That was how he was feeling, and that's why he wrote that. Um, but... He was kind of plump and, um, and you know, he had his... He, I think that he just didn't feel right, you know? I think it was because he felt he was a bit... He call, I think he called it his Elvis, fat Elvis period, you know, when he was, you know, he, he got a bit podgy or something in his own eyes, you know, and that was depressing him a bit, you know? I think John has uh, he's done interviews and articles about that. I mean, I go into these troughs every few years. It was less noticeable in the Beatles because the Beatles' image and thing would carry you through it, you know. I mean, I, I was in the middle of a trough in help, you know. But uh, you can't see it, really. I mean, I'm, sing I'm singing help for a kickoff, you know. And, uh, but it was less noticeable because you're, you're protected by the, the image of the power of the Beatles. Here's what they recorded on that day. Help! Take one. Take two. Help, yes, yes. With an exclamation point. With an exclamation mark. Shooting for help continues until May 12th. In between takes for help, Paul buys a large Victorian house in St. John's Wood, right around the corner from the Abbey Road studios of EMI. He purchased the house located at 7 Cavendish Avenue from a physician named Desmond O'Neill for 40,000 pounds. After the purchase, McCartney proceeded to make considerable interior and exterior renovations that would last 12 to 14 months. In the meantime, Paul continued to live with his girlfriend, Jane Asher, and her family in downtown London. 
and on May 10th record two Larry Williams songs, which were used on the North American album, Beatles 6. Miss Lizzie showed up on the Help album in Britain, but Bad Boy didn't appear in Britain until the collection of oldies was released. Behave yourself by every rock and roll book on a magazine stand. Every dime that he gets, oh, is off to the jukebox man. 
On May 22nd, Ticket to Ride was number one in the U.S. In the last week of May... Lennon was home at Weybridge, the estate near London he shared with wife Cynthia and two-year-old son Julian. While rummaging through the day's pile of mail, John came across a rather officious-looking brown envelope, which bore the markings on Her Majesty's service. As he told biographer Ray Coman, quote, I thought I was being called up. While checking the letter more closely, Lenin discovered it was indeed an official missive from the palace. But this was a draft notice of a different color. John read that he'd been chosen to become a member of the Order of the British Empire, a special honor bestowed upon British subjects by Her Majesty the Queen. The letter asked Lenin, first of all, if he'd accept the honor, and if so, whether he'd be willing to receive it in a public investiture or prefer a private ceremony. Speaking with interviewer Ken Zellig, Lennon recalled more about that morning and how the group's manager, Brian Epstein, had twisted his arm, uh, helped convince him he'd better accept. When I first got the letter saying, do you want the MBE, my first reaction was, no, I don't want the MBE. First of all, I threw the letter along with the fan letters, and then Brian said, did you get a letter? We, all the boys got one. I said, yes. And then I said, well, I don't want it, you know. Because, if anything, I'm a socialist, if anything, though. And Brian and a few people sort of persuaded me it would be in our interest to take it. And it was in our interest of what we were doing at the time. And also, if I'd, had I refused it, nobody would have ever known, except if I just said about it. Because that's how they do it, very curtly, so you don't insult the palace. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever they do anything, they, you can't refuse things. You're not allowed to be seen to refuse an award. Cynthia Lennon remembers John's reaction a little differently. The news came via a phone call from an ecstatic Brian. John, you won't believe this. I didn't at first, but I've just had confirmation that you and the boys are to receive the MBE. Isn't that fantastic? I have to keep pinching myself. An MBE from the Queen in Buckingham Palace. John's reply was a little more earthy. Fucking hell, Brian, you must be fucking joking. Why? Pop stars don't get MBEs. They're supposed to be for ex-army, do good as the establishment. Bloody hell, wait till I tell Sin and Mimi. John was as pleased as Punch and couldn't wait to tell everyone. Not for a moment did he consider turning it down. On the morning of June 12, 1965, six days before Paul's birthday and one year after their record-breaking Australian tour, the Beatles were on the Twickenham Film Studios lot privately screening a near-final cut of Help, their second movie. Meanwhile, outside the screening room, the big MBE news was breaking in the morning papers and on the radio and telly. On June the 12th, 1965, 
came the announcement which put the seal on their acceptance by the establishment. The Beatles were to be made members of the Order of the British Empire. John, Paul, George and Ringo, MBE. After the film ended, Lennon returned home to Weybridge. Later in the day, though, he was to meet his bandmates back at Twickenham for a special press conference about the awards. But reflecting his mixed feelings about accepting it, John stayed home. Then, about 45 minutes after the scheduled start time, a rather bent-out-of-shape Brian Epstein drove over to Weybridge. He did some follow-up arm-twisting and all but dragged the reluctant honoree back to Twickenham. By that time, they were more than an hour late. When they did talk with the media that day, John, Paul, George, and Ringo walked a tightrope, trying to A, avoid sounding too excited so they wouldn't appear to their young fans as having sold out, and B, avoid coming off so cynically that the Queen in Buckingham Palace would be offended. Hugh Moran of the BBC was one of the few reporters allowed a couple minutes alone with the band, but he never had a chance at getting a serious answer, especially from Lennon. On top of that, Moran was unaware that John, Paul, and George were going to pull a prank on Ringo by making a big fuss when the drummer was introduced with his new title. After all, the idea that the three of them were MBEs was ridiculous. But Ringo, the ex-juvenile delinquent from the toughest part of Liverpool? Absurd. Well, I find myself in distinguished company. And may I, without more ado, introduce George Hello. Harrison, Hello. MBE. I did. Oh, thank you. John Lennon. MBE. Oh, yeah. Ringo Starr, MBE. <laughs> and Paul McCartney, MBE. How do you do? <laughs> now, a general question to all you gentlemen, and I must call you gentlemen now. How do you feel, John, about having the MBE? I feel great, you know. It's, it's, we're honored. <laughs> we are, though. Were you terribly surprised? Yeah, you know. I mean, everybody was, I think. Well, I think we were the most surprised. Oh, some Donald Zack. <laughs> George, yeah? what was your first reaction when you heard you'd been awarded the MBE? Well, I didn't believe it really at first. But then when they sent me all bits of paper saying that, and you lot wrote it in the papers, well, you had to believe it. Ringo hasn't told his mum yet. <laughs> <laughs> Is this true, Ringo? You haven't told your mum about this yet? No, she'll have read about it today, though. Uh, were you surprised at all? Yes, very. When did you first know you had been awarded the MBE? Two days ago. We had the form six weeks ago to fill in, you know, but we didn't know we'd actually got it till two days ago. Did the form come with the rest of your fan mail or did it come separately? Uh, in a very sort of uh, impressive sort of, envelope. Yes, we all thought it was call of papers. <laughs> I keep using that line, it's not mine. <laughs> and, um, but when we opened them, it was, you know, if you'd like to have an MBE, sign here. Uh, so we did. <laughs> it was done this way. Yes. Yeah. So we signed our name. Richard Stark, you know. MBE, not Ringo. Thank you very much. Still the same Ringo. Sent two bottle tops and we got it. Paul, do you think you really deserve an award like the MBE? I don't know, you know. What does it matter? We got it, you know. What about when you go to the palace for the investiture? Yeah. What about the gear? How are you dressed? I don't know. Some fellow was just saying you have to have top hats. I hope you don't have to have top hats. Will you all wear top hats? Oh, we can carry them. If we have to. Have white rabbits coming out of them. <laughs> and what about the hair? What about it? Yeah. We'll put that in the top hat as well. <laughs> John, um, having the MBE, what yeah. does it mean to you? Uh, um, I don't know till I get it. Uh, I'll read about it and see what it is, really, because I'm not sure what it is. I've only know what I read in the papers. <laughs> you know, so I'll just sort of check uh, and see what I've really got. I'll find out what they are, then I'll tell you. What did your wife say when she knew you had it? She said, oh. Just like that. Because <laughs> <laughs> she didn't have a clue what really what it was either, but she's pleased. You know? 
I tried to get her one, but she couldn't. <laughs> George? George. Hello. Yes, how do you do? Now, so bad, you the know. MB, what does it mean to you? Well, I don't know. I thought it was the Northern Dance Orchestra at first, <laughs> but oh, that's NDO. <laughs> um, it's great, you know, I mean, I don't know what we'll have to do <clears throat> when we've got it, you know. Yes. I, d I doubt if we'll have to walk up and down, you know, Buckingham <laughs> Palace and that, will we? Showing people what it's like. Yeah. I don't know, it'll just be the same, only we've got a medal. Yes, you've got a medal? Thank you. Ringo, you've got a medal yes. of the actual MBE. Where will you wear it? Um, <laughs> um, I don't. I hope it's on a bit of a tag so you can shove it round your neck, you know, because if it's going to pin your record, your suits. Uh, no, That's I want true. a bit of a tab on mine. Same oh, wearing a tie yeah. as well. Um, you've taken it pretty lightheartedly, obviously. What do you really yeah. think deep down about getting this award? I think it's great. I've never had any awards, you know. Nearly got one for swimming. Nearly got one at the swimming game. Well, I got uh, one for 25 yards. What do you think? Everybody on the other side of the Atlantic is going to say to this. Whoopee, I hope. <laughs> the Queen's honors set off quite a controversy. Angry war heroes buried Buckingham Palace in a flood of returned medals and ribbons. Irate colonels and ex-army heroes returned their awards, claiming they were forever cheapened. This is a form of protest to the Queen because this order is being debased by everybody in giving this to um, uh, people who are not deserving of it. Well, I, I think the Beatles have been adequately rewarded already. I mean, they've got a tremendous amount of money for what they've done. If I had the MBE, I think I should be slightly put out at being placed on the same level as a pop singer. I don't think it, uh, it's a very good idea to return them. I can see the point in being rather surprised that people like the Beatles would be given the, the award. Author Richard Pape said that if the Royal Honours list was to continue to be debased, quote, then Britain must fall deeper into international ridicule and contempt. John says, Lots of people who complained about us receiving the MBE received theirs for heroism in the war, for killing people. I thought you had to drive tanks and win wars. We received ours for entertaining people. I'd say we deserve ours more, wouldn't you? Ringo just makes plans to hang on to his and wear the medal in his old age. Paul said he'd wear it in the garden, and George says, I didn't think you got an MBE for playing rock and roll. The official ceremony for the installation of the MBE award to the Beatles was scheduled for later in the fall. So on Monday, June 14th, it was back to work for the group at EMI Studios number no. 2. The day started with the release of the Beatles album Beatles 6 in the US. At 2:30 p.m., the group worked on Paul's song I've Just Seen a Face.
The next song the group worked on was another song by Paul, a fast rocker in which Paul felt it had a little bit of soul. Let's hope this one turns out pretty darn good, huh? You tell lies, thinking I can see. You can't cry, cause you're laughing at me. I'm down. Plastic soul, man. Plastic soul. Plastic soul, man. Then they recorded the song which, by public acclaim, will always rank among Paul's best, The Beautiful Yesterday. It'll be an F for you. Yesterday. I'm in G, but it'll be an F. It goes E minor to A seventh to D minor. Well, I mean, when Paul played it to the group, you know, they would say, well, Ringo's started tapping away on drums, and what can we do with it? Well, you know, it wasn't a three guitars and, 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 uh, and drums thing. And I said, put down guitar and, piano and voice just to begin with, Paul, and we'll see what we can do with it, which we did. And I said, nothing else you can do. You can't put, you can't put heavy drums on that. It's nonsense. Um, you can't put a heavy bass guitar on it, even. I said, what about having a string accompaniment? You know, fairly tastefully done. And he didn't want any of that. And then I said, I thought about it. I said, well, what about string quartet then? So he dug that. He thought it was neat. And then George Martin said, well, Paul, why don't you just try it yourself? You know, we'll see how it works. Ready? Ready? 
Yesterday, take one. Okay, man. <laughs> Yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday. Suddenly, there's a shadow hanging over me. I'm not half the man I used to be. Oh. Yesterday came suddenly. Why she had to go, I don't know. She wouldn't say. I said something wrong. Now I long for yesterday. Yesterday, love was such an easy game. To hide away. Oh, I believe in yesterday. Why she had to go, I don't know. She wouldn't say. I said something wrong. Now I long for yesterday. Yesterday. Such an easy game to play. Now I need a place to hide away. Oh, I believe in yesterday. George Martin remembers the genesis of the song. I remember Paul playing to me yesterday, and he called it Scrambled Egg. It wasn't until he got the lyric together that we decided to record it. So he went down, sat in a high stall with his acoustic guitar, and sang yesterday. Dick James, music publisher and co-founder of Northern Songs, the Beatles' music publishing company, recalls one time during the filming of Help at Twickenham Studios, Paul shared a new tune. I'm down at the film studio, and... Um, uh, Paul, they, they were lining up some lighting and some camera shots the other side of the set. And on this side of the set was a Hammond organ. And Paul just switched it on and he said, listen to it, I'll play it very quietly while they're working up the other end of the studio. And uh, uh, this is a new melody that I've got and we haven't worked on the lyric yet. And he played me the melody and uh, he just did an intro and he said, I've got a lyric and he sang scrambled egg. And of course that was yesterday. And for the want of a lyric, you know, he was saying scrambled egg. And I said, well, that must be one of the greatest tunes I've ever heard. Song expert Dick James obviously felt that yesterday was a turning point for the Beatles. And to the close observer, it was a strong hint of things to come. The next day on June 15th, work continued on the new soundtrack LP, an afternoon session only. Recording and perfecting in six takes John's mainly acoustic song, It's Only Love.
The rest of the week saw final mixing for the new Beatles album at EMI Studios. It was also decided on June 17th the recorded Ringo Starr sung track, If You've Got Trouble, be rejected. Now it looked as though Ringo's allotment of one song per album be broken until he suggested a country western tune called Act Naturally. We'd be well into the album and uh, we all knew that I'd be doing a number somewhere. So we'd either say, have you got a song, you know, we've got this for you. Uh, or we haven't got anything, is there anything you want to do? Act Naturally is a song written by Mr. Johnny Russell and Miss Vonnie Morrison, originally recorded by Buck Owens and the Buckaroos, whose original version reached number one on the Billboard Country Singles Charts back in 1963. They're gonna put me in the movies They're gonna make the big star out of me We'll make the film about a man that's sad and lonely And all I gotta do is act naturally Well, I'll bet you I'm gonna be a big star Might win an Oscar, you can't never tell The movie's gonna make me a big star Cause I can play the part so well Well, I hope you come to see me in the movie Then I know that you'll plainly see Biggest fool that's ever hit the big time And all I gotta do is act naturally Sad and lonely And baking down upon his bended knee I'll play the part But I won't need rehearsing All I'll have to do is act naturally Well, I'll bet you I'm a gonna be a big star Might win an Oscar You can't never tell Movie's gonna make me a big star Cause I can play the part so well Well, I 
about country and western music? I know you're a fan of Buck Owens, George Jones. I'm one of the most country and western singers, you know. What does country and western music say to you? Well, I like it because it, all the numbers have a story, you know, and I love stories. And, there's, you know, there's always, a, well, 90%, you know, in all country numbers, there's a story. You know, what, 50% all my, my girl's gone away, and I, but I'm going to laugh anyway, and, you know, or don't leave me or I'll cry, you know. That's about all the stories. How about Hank Williams? Well, he was great, you know. I, I love him, too. I like, um, I think I like a lot of the modern ones, though, mainly, you know, like the Buck Owens, George Jones, and Kitty Wells, and people like that, you know. Hank if you had your way, would you sing strictly, if you were a single, for example, as a yeah. vocalist, would you sing strictly country and western? No, I don't think so. What would you do, about the same kind of thing? Well, I, 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 if I was just, um, you know, a singer on my own, I'd like to put everything in. On Friday, June 18th, John traveled across London to BBC's Lime Grove Studios for a live appearance on BBC One program called Tonight, where John was promoting his new book called A Spaniard in the Works, which was the follow-up to his book In His Own Right. As you all know, Harris Wilsod won the general election with a very small margin over the torches, thus putting the laboring party back into Powell after a large abscess. This he could not have done without span the barking of the trade onions, heady by Frank Cunnings, who now has a safe seat in non-eating, thank you, and Frank, only 62, bowels who hasn't. Sir Alec, doubtless whom, was, quote, bitterly disappointed, but managed to keep smirking on his 500,000-acre estate in Scotland with a bit of fishing and that. And that was the second lesson, according to John Lennon. Once again, he's put on his writer's hat to follow up the success of his first book in his own right with another epic of inconsequence, A Spaniard in the Works, a little work full of pieces of political wisdom, such as you've just heard, and moving poems like The Wumberlog or The Magic Dog. Whilst all the tower was sleepy, crept a little boy from bed to feign the wondrous people what lived when they were dead. He packed a little voucher for his dinner neath a tree, for humps a tiny dwarf or two would share a bite with me. For champ I'll see the Wumberlog, the highly feathered crow, the laughing, leaping Harris Tweed, and good old Uncle Joe. He packed his very trunk case, clean sockers for a week, his book and Denzel for his notes, then out the windy creep. He met him friendly magic dog, all black and curlew too, what flew him fast in second class to do what he must do. Mr. Lennon, your first book was a bestseller, and I shouldn't think any doubt that this one's going to be too. Do you think that you'd be published uh, were you not a Beatle. I could probably get published, but, you know, I wouldn't sell as many. I mean, they publish a lot of rubbish anyway, but uh, I wouldn't sell. Do you think you've got a built-in advantage in being a Beatle? I mean, are you glad about this, or would you rather have uh, earned a reputation as a writer in your own right? No, I never thought of it. If I hadn't been a Beatle, I just wouldn't have thought of having the stuff published, because I would have been crawling around broke and just writing it and throwing it away. Might have been a beat poet. How did it come about that you weren't a beat poet and that your first book was published? Well, some American who shall remain nameless was called Michael Brown. He's, I showed him the stuff and he took it to the publisher and they published it, that was it. Did you ever think of publishing it under a pseudonym, not as John Lennon? I thought of that, but uh, what's the use of Because he took it to the publisher first without telling them who it was, just to see if they would have published it. That answers your first question as well. It does indeed, yeah. Living in, you know, the butterfly world of pop as a Beatle, do you find that this undermines people's serious acceptance of you as a writer? Uh, it does, but I don't really, I didn't really expect them to take me seriously, so, I, you know, there's nothing to say about that. They do take it 
more seriously than I thought, so that's good enough for me. Indeed, it I mean, the first book was uh, reviewed in the Posh Sundays, and on the other side of the fence, your music's uh, recorded by people like Ella Fitzgerald. Now, this is serious recognition in both areas. Which, which do you find more satisfying? Well, uh, the book, really, because it means more to other people that Ella Fitzgerald recorded one of our tunes than it does to us, because the tune is still something that Paul and I have written. So we still have the same faith in it. It just gives other people more faith in the tune. This book's very similar to the first in being bits and pieces of poems and bits of prose. Do you think you'd ever want to write anything longer, a novel, for example? Well, I tried, right. The longest thing I've written is in this book. It's one about Sherlock Holmes. And it seemed like a novel to me, but it turned out to be six pages. But I couldn't, I don't think I could, I couldn't do it now. I get fed up and I didn't know who was, I brought so many characters in, I forgot who they were, you know. This happens to other writers, too. Oh, other writers, good. <laughs> The pop business is a young man's world. It seems to have an ever-increasingly young audience. Do you think that perhaps uh, writing a book like this and writing at all perhaps might be an unconscious attempt to win recognition in the adult world? No, because I started all this writing long before I was a pop artist or even a Beatle or before I had a guitar. So it's nothing to do with that. The guitars came second. Second. And which comes first? Well, now the guitars come first. Because this is still a hobby, which it always has been. Are you going on doing it, are you? I'll go on doing it. I mean, have you written anything else? Is there anything else coming after this? A third uh, uh, one in the series? Well, it's, I don't get much time. If I had more time, I'd probably write more. The publisher rang up and said, have you written, have you written anything yet? I said, no, I've been writing songs, because I can't do both at once. You know, I've got to concentrate on the book or the songs. So I haven't written anything since this. We look forward, nevertheless, John. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. After John's promotional appearance on BBC One, he and the other Beatles made a radio appearance on the BBC for Brian Matthews' show. The main focus, again, was the release of John's new book, which was scheduled to be out in the UK and America in six days. Are we going to read one? Yeah, go and read that. Why don't we all read it? Couldn't stumble track. Okay, the National Health Cow, page 62. I strolled into a farmyard when no one was about, treading past the troubles, I raised my head to shout. Don't like that. Come out the cow with glasses, I called and rolled my eye. It ambled up toward me, I melted with a sigh. Mm. You're just in time, the cow said, his eyes were all ablaze. I'm feeling like an elephant, I aren't been milked for days. Why is this, I asked it, tugging at its throttles. I don't know why, perhaps it's cause my milk comes out in bottles. That's, That's handy, handy for the government, government I thought, and in a tick, tick the, the cow fell dead all sudden, I'd smashed it with a brick. And if you enjoyed that, here's John with another sample. I have a little budgie, here's my very pal. I take him walks in Britain, I hope I always shall. I call my budgie Geoffrey, my granddad's name's the same. I call him after granddad who had a feathered brain. And same kind of rubbish. Yeah, same kind of rubbish, that's right, Paul. Sure, Pardon? very popular. I like um, the first one. Yeah, I did. I thought it was I hate this one. I'm not telling anymore, you see, so I'll have to get it. <laughs> Thank you very much. John Lennon reading from his second book, Spaniard in the Works. Following the radio broadcast, the group headed to rehearsals for their up-and-coming European tour. On June 20th, 1965, John and the Beatles were in Paris kicking off a short tour of France, Italy, and Spain with a pair of shows at the Palais des Sports. 6,000 fans filled the venue for each of the two concerts, one at 3 in the afternoon and an evening set at 9. Here's the first song from this afternoon's show that opened this 14-day European tour.
Let's hear a couple of killer cuts from the evening show. Merci, merci beaucoup. Merci. Uh, salut, salut, salut. Notre uh, et maintenant, maintenant une chanson. Chanson qui s'appelle I'm a loser. I'm a loser. I'm a loser. And I'm not what I appear to be. Of all the love I have won or have lost. I should never have got She was a girl in a million, my friend I should have known she would win in the end I'm a loser And I lost someone who's near to me I'm a loser And I'm not what I appear to be Although I laugh and I act like a clown I am wearing a frown My tears are falling like rain from the sky Is it for her or myself that I Comes before her fall. I'm telling you 
Beatles traveled to Lyon, France for two shows on June 22nd at the Palais de Hiva de Lyon. Six, five, four, three, From Lyon, France, the Beatles traveled by rail to Milan, Italy, and on June 24th, the group played the Velodromo Vigorelli in Milan, Italy for two shows. Signore! Signori! Vi presentiamo i Beatles! Neither show was a sellout, with the afternoon show attracting just 7,000 spectators in an arena that holds 22,000 seats. Ready. 
Hello? Evening? Evening all? From Milan, the group went to Giona on Friday, June 25th, for two more shows at the Palazzo della Sport. The afternoon show was seen by just 5,000 spectators at this outside arena that holds 25,000. It seems as though the 98-degree temperature kept most home. I come with from a last long playing record for The Beatles' European tour rolled on to Rome, Italy, on June 27th and 28th for a total of four shows. Signore, vi presentiamo i 
After Rome, it was on to Nice, France for one show. Merci beaucoup. The next song is Un Pour Uber, and it's called Ticket to Ride. After the concert, the group left Nice and landed in Madrid, Spain. llegan a Madrid los Beatles, el conjunto musical británico compuesto por cuatro intérpretes cuyas efigies andan ya dibujadas en camisas como esta. Right now though we're picking up the story on July 2nd 1965, just a couple of weeks after the Beatles MBE awards were announced to the public. John, Paul, George and Ringo were in sunny Madrid, Spain, getting ready to play the second to last gig of a two-week blitz across the European continent. Before heading off to the show at the Plaza de Toros de Madrid, Lennon and Harrison spent a few minutes in their suite at the Hotel Phoenix talking with Australian media personality Graham Webb about the MBEs, still a very hot topic. Webb asked the two to comment on their awards and on the other members who'd returned theirs in protest. We were very proud and honored, you know, and the people that sent them back were fools. And also they weren't really... Uh, do it, they were doing it so publicly that they obviously wanted to be known what kind of fools they were or they would have just done it privately and most of them got it sent military MBEs back which is for killing people and ours was civil which was for making people happy so I think <laughs> uh, we've got more claim to have one there was an Australian fellow well there was an article in the paper in Britain about an Australian fellow and he had everything he had MBE, OBE, DSO the lot and he was saying how great it was and all these other people, I mean, they just got one thing for shooting somebody, but the fellow had the works, so a lot, he agreed with the, us getting, getting the thing. He was a good cobber. He was a good cobber, but he wasn't the only good cobber in Australia oh, no. who agreed with you getting this. I mean, I know there's been a lot of talk in the papers in Australia, too. Not very much of an adverse, like it has been in England. I know this It's been 50-50 in England. Yeah. But remember, that's only 50-50 people who wrote into the papers. The rest of the population that didn't write in probably agreed, or they would have written in dissent. The Beatles then played that afternoon at the Plaza de Toros de las Ventas, which was a bullfighter's bullring. John Lennon wore, appropriately enough, a matador's hat throughout the concert. On July 3rd, the group played at a bullring at the Plaza de Torres Monumental in Barcelona, Spain. The Beatles' short tour of Europe ended as they left Barcelona and landed back in London on July 4th. Coming up in a moment... The Beatles release another new single and LP, and 
their appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show. Hi, Ed. Is he on oh, he's own? watching. He's watching in this one. Look. <laughs> there he is. All right, Ed. It's Mrs. Ed. Oh, I'm Mr. Ed. <laughs> Before setting out on their North American tour. And we go off to America. Next on Yesterday and Today. Chicken vegetarian, no chicken wings. Oh, that's right. No, I forgot. Totally, I forgot. It was actually tofu wings. <laughs> oh, my baby, when I hear you sing, all I think about is tofu wings. Oh, did you bring the tofu wings? Or to contact the show, visit yesterdayandtodaypodcast.wordpress.com or email at yesterdayandtodaypodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at yesterdaypod on Twitter and search Yesterday and Today Podcast on Facebook. See you next time. I'm Paul Kaminsky. And I'm James Kaminsky. And we are the co-hosts of the Third Men Podcast. We are a Jack White history podcast where we go over the White Stripes, Third Man Records, the list goes on. And occasionally, we do a funny voice or two. So you're going to probably want to get used to that. Or turn it off. 
Whatever your preference. Or whatever turns you on. <laughs> hey now, you're an all-star, because occasionally we'll do an all-star podcast. We did do an entire Smash Mouth episode once, that is true. <laughs> we are every other week on Wednesdays, and we are available on iTunes and really wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, so why don't you come on and find yourself a little home here with us? We promise we'll be weird roommates. If I want to do the dishes without my pants on, that's my deal. That was weird, see? We weren't even lying. 